Thank you. You may be seated. Well, at this time, if you uh, take your Bibles with me, please, and turn to the New Testament book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and uh, just want to say I'm thankful for the opportunity tonight to be able to share from the Word of God, and I trust that the Lord would meet with us together as we look at this portion of Scripture together here in the book of Romans in chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8, and I just want to read a few verses here in opening. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. And the Word of God says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of the life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And I'll pause our reading there. Tonight I, I want to speak on the theme of the indwelling warfare of the believer. The indwelling warfare of the believer. And what is that tonight you might say? What are you referring to there? I'm speaking about the fight that is happening in each and every believer. The fight that continues to go on in the life of every saint, every Christian, everyone who has in Christ Jesus, as we see there in verse number one. And this indwelling warfare is constantly going on. In fact, even at this very moment right now, there is a warfare that is taking place. But I'm thankful that this passage, and not only this passage, but throughout God's word, he has given us a hope to be able to overcome this indwelling warfare. There is the opportunity to be able to overcome to go through this life, and yes, although we are in a indwelling warfare, God is able to help us through this. And I'd like to share just a few things here this evening, but before we go any further, let's just bow together in a word of prayer and ask the Lord that He would meet with us and bless us and help us, for we need His help. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come now at this very moment, Lord. And Lord, we understand the importance of this very moment, Lord, in which we have right now, Lord. This is the time, Father, in which we come before Thy Holy Word. And Lord, right now as we take it, we ask, Father, please speak to us. Father, we need Thy help. We acknowledge that this isn't uh, a time for where man is, is to speak, but Lord, this is a time when You ought to speak. So Father, I do pray, please speak to Thy people. Please speak to us today. Father, make thy word come alive. We praise thee, Father, that thou art the spirit that is able to bring thy word alive to us, Lord. Father, we thank thee that the spirit giveth life. And Lord, the entrance of thy word giveth light. So, Father, I pray tonight, if there be any here who are yet without Christ, who have not yet come to thee, Lord, I pray that you would use thy word tonight, Lord, as a double-edged sword. Father, I pray that you would use it to pierce the heart of the unbeliever. 
Show them the wonderful Savior that is Jesus Christ, we pray. And Lord, I pray that they would see what wonderful salvation, so rich and free. Oh, Father, we need thy help, we ask. Please send forth thy spirit now and minister to us, we pray. We ask, Father, one thing, that we would see Jesus. We pray in Christ Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As we come to this passage here together in the book of Romans, we see that Romans was a book written by the Apostle Paul. Now, the book of Romans is very interesting and very different, in fact, to some of the other books that the Apostle Paul wrote. In fact, when he wrote to the Philippians, he wrote to the church at Philippi, a church which he was personally able to go and and begin and go and start a church plant, you might say, of the Apostle Paul. You continue on looking at some of the other letters of the Apostle Paul. But when you come to the book of Romans... This was not a church that was directly planted by the Apostle Paul. In fact, we don't know exactly how this church was planted, but we do know that this was a church that had been planted. Maybe it was because there were Romans or those that were present from Rome who heard the preaching of the Word of God. In fact, in the book of Acts, at the day of Pentecost, we see that many from all around came to hear the Word of God. And I believe as a result of that, we find that many, as they received the word of God, brought it back to where they were. And we see this church at Rome had been planted, a church that we see here that was not planted by the apostle. But I believe here that as Paul is writing to the Romans, we find, in fact, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter one. And we see here a little bit of context, Romans chapter one, and we see As we begin in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. We find that Paul, who was a servant of God, came and wrote this message to the Romans because he knew that he was called and separated unto the gospel of God. In fact, we read later on in verse number 7, the word of God says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. We see that he's writing to the believers in Rome. He's writing to the Christians there, beloved of God. And you say, why is he writing here? And I believe the answer we find, uh, in fact, we see a few reasons why Paul is writing here to the church in Rome. In verse number eight, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I find this amazing that the church of Rome had such an influence, uh, a place that was so influential that the whole world knew, it says, around the world they knew about the faith of the church there at Rome. We also see here in verse 11, for he says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. And why is Paul writing to the Romans? So that they would be a church that is established in faith. I believe that this is written for us today so that we as believers may be established in our faith. That we may be established in the faith in which we have. Now there's a few things here that I want to look at back in our text. In Romans chapter 8, we find that there is an ongoing warfare that takes place in every believer. In fact, the Bible says here 
In verse number two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. We find here the words, the spirit and the flesh. We keep reading here in verse number four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Verse number five, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. We find that there is an ongoing warfare, an indwelling warfare in the life of every believer, and that is a battle between your flesh and the spirit. A battle between the flesh and the spirit. In fact, we know that this isn't something that is only for weak believers you might say maybe you're here tonight and you say well those are for those who maybe are weak in their faith but in fact the apostle Paul himself knew what this meant he knew this warfare in fact we read in Romans chapter 7 here in verse number 14 the Bible says for we know that the law is spiritual but I am carnal sold under sin he acknowledged that he himself was carnal but not only that we see here for that which I do I allow not for what I would that do I not but what I hate that do I if then I do that which I would not I consent unto the law that is good now then it is no more I that do it but sin that dwelleth in me for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing for to will is present with me but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now you say, that sounds a little bit confusing there. What is the Apostle Paul trying to say? Essentially, he's saying this, the things that I don't want to do, I can't help but do them. And the things that I know I should do, I find myself not doing them. I wonder tonight if you feel like that at times. I wonder tonight if you've ever experienced in your life that the things you know you ought to be doing, You just find it so difficult to do. The things you know that are pleasing to God, the the life that you know that you ought to live as a Christian, and you say, I find it so hard to live this life. I find it so difficult. Well, the Apostle Paul knew what it meant to be like that. In fact, we, we see this is the warfare that is indwelling, the fight that is going on in the life of the believer. Verse number 20. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. In fact, the Apostle Paul recognized that it's not us that does it, but the sin that dwelleth in us. The flesh, the flesh that dwelleth in us. You may have heard this illustration given before. In fact, Pastor Morland mentions it many times. I've heard him say it a lot of times, but it's a bit like this. There are two dogs inside of each of us and one of them is the flesh and one of them is the spirit and you say which one is the one that is going to win in fact these dogs are constantly warring against each other fighting against each other and you say which is the one that is going to win it's the one that you feed the most It's the one that you give more attention to the most. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 8 and verse, in verse number 5, For they that are after the flesh 
do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, we read here of this warfare that is going on, and you might be here tonight and you say, well, I, I know that this, this war goes on. I know in my life that I, I, I struggle with sins and things that are difficult, things that I wish that I could overcome. You say, how do I overcome? How is it possible for me to overcome these things? But I'm thankful that the Word of God gives us the answer here. You, you might be here tonight and you say, I, I'm saved, I, I've given my life to the Lord, I, I follow Him, but I still sin. What, what, what can I do with my life? Now, I found looking in this passage tonight, in fact, I want to share three things that help us in our warfare of sin. Three things that help us in our warfare for sin. Firstly, we see to acknowledge. Secondly, to overcome. And thirdly, our motivation. I want to speak on these things just briefly here tonight and trust that the Lord will help us as we look at these things. I just want to explain to you here the process of a believer. You say, what takes place when somebody is saved? We see the first thing is salvation that takes place in the life of a believer. That's when you come to know the Lord as your Savior. And after that, we see a process take place, which is called sanctification. And that is when we become more like Christ. That is less of me and more of Christ. And the flesh as we put off the old man and we put on the new man. That's the process of sanctification. And if you're a believer here tonight, that is the process in which you are going through right now. That's the process in which takes place right now. We are being sanctified. We are becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ each and every day. And then we see glorification. That is when we be with Christ in heaven. And what a wonderful thing that is to look forward to. But tonight I want to look here firstly about our acknowledgement of our warfare. Every battle must begin with realizing the opposition. Before you ever fight any battle, you need to acknowledge who you are fighting against. And I, I wonder tonight, do you realize that? Are you realizing that you do not fight in a sense against God? You're not fighting against your own spiritual self. But we see here that the battle with every believer is the flesh versus the spirit. In verse number four, the word of God says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. We acknowledge here, and I just said it a moment ago, but the battle we must realize is the flesh against the spirit. In order for us to overcome our sin in life, we must realize that it is the flesh in us. That causes us to desire and want the things of this world. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 16. Turn with me there. The book of 1 John towards the end of the word of God. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 16. And the word of God says here. And this is what we must acknowledge about the flesh. You say what is, what is the flesh? Verse number 16, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh 
and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Firstly, we see here that when we battle our flesh, it is the things of this world is not of the Father. In fact, the Bible says here that is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The Bible says in verse number 15 of 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And tonight you might say, what is the warfare against? It's the fact that your flesh desires this world. Your flesh desires the pleasures of this world. That's what it longs for. That's what it desires. That's what it wants. It wants to, to have the things of this world. And you say tonight, how do I overcome this? We, we recognize and we acknowledge what our warfare is against. Back, when, back in our text in Romans chapter 8, we see here in verse number 6, the Bible says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We understand something else about our warfare here. As we think about the two that are in battle against each other, the flesh and the spirit, the flesh, the outcome for those to be carnally minded or to be fleshly minded is death. It is death. There is nothing good about our flesh. In fact, the outcome of our flesh is death. That is the outcome of it. And we see here, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. As we look at that there, the flesh is death, but the spirit is life and peace. They are in contrary one to the other. We find an opposite here. You know, by looking at that text there in verse number six, I was reading that and it made me think of something. It made me think of something. It made me think of this, that the only reason why there is a Christian, or in fact, one of the reasons why Christians often feel like they are dead Maybe you're here tonight and you say, I know I'm a Christian and I, I've given my life to the Lord, but I feel dead. I feel as if there's nothing in me. I feel like I've lost all hope. And you say, what is the reason for that? Because the Bible says here, for to be carnally minded is death. Maybe tonight the reason why you feel like you are dead in your Christian life is maybe because you're carnally minded. Maybe tonight it's because you're so concerned about the things of the flesh. And you see the opposite here, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That teaches us something there. They that are spiritually minded, those here tonight who are spiritually minded, that are concerned about the spirit, the things of the spirit, and we'll look later how we can overcome these things by the Spirit, but they must be those who are alive. In fact, the Bible says here that to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you are spiritually minded tonight, then we must be full of life. If there's anybody in this entire world that should be full of life, it should be us believers. It should be those who are God's saved people. They should be the ones that are full of life. But I wonder today you find so many Christians and they look as if they're dead. They look as if there's no life in them. Why? Because they're carnally minded. 
But not only do we find that to be spiritually minded is life, but the Bible says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you're here tonight and you are a believer, then we have peace. We have peace with God. But not only do we have peace with God, we have peace no matter what is going on in this world. You see, this world ought to be in panic because of everything that is happening. But if you're a Christian tonight, then we have peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Not to be worried about the things that are going on. You see, I'm very thankful. In fact, as I'm thinking about this, I was uh, looking, uh, been studying in the book of Hebrews recently. Hebrews chapter 10, I shared this with the young people on Friday. But uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, we find something that is so comforting. So comforting to, to the believer. Something that gives us such hope as believers here tonight. And I hope that this blesses your soul. Hebrews chapter 10, we find here in verse number Verse number nine, then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But look at this verse, verse number 12. But this man, this is the Lord Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. See what comfort there is in that verse for the believer tonight. That when Jesus Christ offered his life for sins once for all, once forever, he sat down on the right hand of God. You see, Jesus is not in heaven frantically pacing up and down and wondering what's going on in this world. But he sat down on the right hand of the Father. It is finished. And the Bible continues saying in verse number 13, from henceforth expecting. Expecting. Jesus is expecting. And he sat down. And why? Because there is peace. There is peace and if you're here tonight and you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, then we have life and peace. We must acknowledge that our warfare is a spiritual versus the flesh. The reason why often we become so frantic, so afraid, so worried, so discouraged is because maybe here tonight we're concerned about the things of the flesh. I wonder tonight, where is your mind upon? What is it that you are prepared on? Verse number six, for to be carnally minded. What are you concerned about? Verse number five, for they that are after the flesh. I wonder tonight, what are you after? What is the very thing that you are after tonight? Because that will determine the outcome of your life. If you are after the spirit then you will have life and peace. But if you're after the flesh, then you will be deaf. We see here firstly, the acknowledgement of our warfare. We understand that not only is there a warfare between us and our own self, but we the Bible continues to say here in verse number 7, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. We acknowledge here tonight that the, to live in a way that is carnal, 
To live in a way that is fleshly is not only against our own self, but it is against God. It's enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And this is, this is far worse. The fact that tonight, if we live in a way that is after the flesh, then we are living in enmity against God. And God doesn't desire for that. As believers, God doesn't desire for that. In fact, we are enemies to God if we are living in a fleshly way. We keep reading here in verse number nine, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Look at that word there in the middle of verse number nine. If, if. I wonder tonight, if you were to examine your life, could you say in verse number nine that the spirit of God dwells in you? I wonder tonight, do you know that? Do you know that the Spirit of God dwells in your life? You say, how, how do I know? How do I know if the Spirit of God dwells in you and in your life, then you will be doing the things that is not according to the flesh, but of the Spirit. We see here, firstly, to acknowledge our warfare. Secondly, you say tonight, well, I, I realize Already that there's a warfare going on. You say, what you've said, I, I agree with. I know that there's a fight in my life that is happening, that is going on even at this moment as you speak. You say, well, how do I overcome? What must I do to overcome this fight and this battle that is taking place? How do I win? I'm thankful that God already knew that this would be something we would battle with. God already knew that this would be something that we would face daily, often, a warfare. And he's given us many passages. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, when he came into this world, knew what this meant. But he lived a life that was a perfect life. He sympathizes with our infirmities. And throughout scripture, we see an ongoing theme or an ongoing way in which the believer is to overcome the flesh. The way in which the believer is to overcome in this life through trials and temptations. Maybe you're here tonight and you're going through one. You're going through a difficulty. You're going through a temptation. There's a sin in your life that you just cannot shake no matter how hard you try. But I'm thankful that God has given us all that is needed to get through this. He's given us all that we need as believers to go through this. In fact, there are four things that I've written down here that is essential in overcoming in our warfare. Four things that are essential that we must have to overcome in our warfare. Firstly, I've written down here the Holy Spirit. We see that this is the method, the way in which we as believers are to overcome the flesh is through the Spirit. You say, what do you mean by that? Romans chapter 8 and verse number 4 
The Bible says that the righteousness of the law might be filled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You say, how is it possible that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us? How is it possible for me to live in a way that is pleasing to God? It says here, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I wonder tonight, what are you walking after? And I I love that expression or that phrase or that word that is used, walk, walk, because it's a progressive word. It's a word that is dealing with something that we do, walk. I wonder tonight, where are you walking to? Your life, for a moment, I want you to just think about your life. Where are you heading? What is your ambition? What is your purpose of life tonight? Why are you alive tonight? What is the reason for it? I wonder. Is it to walk after the Spirit? In order for us to walk of the Spirit, we must be led of the Spirit. We must be those that are following the Spirit of God and what what the Spirit of God desires for us. In fact, we see here in verse number 14 of Romans chapter 8, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. You see, the way in which we walk after the Spirit is by being led. By being led. And I wonder tonight, what are you following? What are you allowing to lead your life? Maybe you're here tonight and you say, I'm just going with the flow. I'm just going to go with whatever comes tomorrow. And whatever comes tomorrow, that's what I'm going to let lead me. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, I'm going to be led by what I feel is best. So many Christians I've met that live that way. Maybe that's you tonight. And you say, I'm going to live the way that feels best for me. However my emotions lead me tonight, if I don't like it, I'm not going to do it. If it makes me happy, I'm going to do it. Maybe that's how you are being led tonight. But the Bible says here, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I wonder tonight what is leading you? Is it the Holy Spirit of God? Galatians and chapter 5, we see another passage here given to us, dealing with walking after the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, just a few books over, also written by the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 16. I want to read a few verses here for you tonight. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. This I say then. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There it is tonight. You might be here and you say, how do I not live a life that is sinful? How do I not fulfill the lust of the flesh? The word of God says this, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit. There it is again. Led of the Spirit. I wonder tonight, do you know that you are being led of the Spirit? All that you are doing, is it led by the Spirit? Or have you come up with it yourself? Are you being led by the Spirit each day? In fact, we need it not just one time in our life. But daily, 
Daily, we need to be led by the Spirit of God. Continues to say here in verse number 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, and cleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, and it continues to go on. Different types of sins that we face in our life daily. But you say, how can I overcome these? If ye are led of the Spirit. That's the first step in being able to overcome in our indwelling warfare. Secondly, I've written down here the Word of God. The Word of God. This is another thing that is essential. If we are to live a life that is pleasing to God, the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17. You may know that verse, but we, in fact, turn with me, turn with me there to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. The Bible says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You say, the word of God is necessary for us to live a life that is pleasing to God. It is profitable. It is what we need for reproof, for correction, for instruction. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I wonder tonight, do you faithfully read the word of God? Is that a key part of your life? Because if it's not a key part of your life, then be sure that you are going to live a sinful life. Be sure that you are going to fall into sin and temptation. In fact, it was said of D.L. Moody, he said this, the Bible will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from the Bible. If you are constantly living in a way that is sinful, then you're not going to, you're not going to want to read the Word of God. You're not going to want to, to read it. In fact, you know you need to, but you don't desire it. In fact, Seth mentioned even this morning about there's not even being a desire in there to read it. You just don't want to. I wonder, is that you tonight? Do you acknowledge that you know you need the Word of God more in your life? In fact, if we'll be honest with ourselves, we all could say that we, we could read the Word of God more. I know myself, I could say that. I know I need more of God's Word. The Bible says in Colossians 3 verse 16, Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. I wonder tonight, is it richly in your life? Does the word of God dwell richly? If we'll be honest tonight, I don't think we could truly admit that. I know I couldn't. I know I couldn't admit that tonight. But that's something that we need. In fact, a verse of scripture that we often quote all the time to young people. Psalm 119 verse 11. For thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. You say, I don't want to sin against God. Well, have you hidden his word in your heart? Is the word of God in your life tonight? Is it there? It is essential. It is needed. We must be led of the spirit and we must have the word of God in our life. Thirdly, I've written down here prayer. 
In order for us to overcome the sin of our life, we must be a people that is praying. I wonder tonight, are you a praying person? Do you pray? In fact, there was a short little book that uh, written by J.C. Ryle. Many of you heard that. And the title of that book is, Do You Pray? And I remember reading that book and a very helpful book. I encourage you to read it. It'll encourage you. But I wonder tonight, if that question was asked to you, do you pray? I don't mean do you say a bunch of words. I'm saying do you pray? Do you commune with God? That is essential. For us to live a life that is pleasing to God, we must be a praying people. Do you pray? I love what we find in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, many of you know it as the passage dealing with the armor of God. This deals a lot with the Christian warfare that we face. But we see here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 18, and I'm, I'm very thankful for this piece of armor that is mentioned. We find the, the, the helmet and the, the various different things, the breastplate of righteousness, bout of truth, uh, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And verse number 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You see, that is essential in the life of a believer that you are a praying person. I wonder, do you pray? Are you a praying person? I genuinely believe that as Christians today, we, we don't pray as we find in the word of God how the apostles and the disciples used to, to pray here. In fact, look with me. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, I want to share a few verses with you here. Acts chapter 3, verse number 1, and the word of God says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. We see that they were getting together. And we find that, I'm encouraged by this church, that there is a desire to pray. There is a desire to get together and to pray together. And we find here, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. We find here that there was a desire to pray. They realized that if they did not pray, they were laboring in their own strength. I want to, do you realize that in your life? That when you do not pray, essentially what you are saying this, God, I don't need you. I can do this myself. God, I don't need your help because I'm capable. When you put it that way, it doesn't sound very good, does it? But when we don't pray, that's essentially what we're saying. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. We don't see that happening anymore, do we? Imagine that the place was shaken. I believe that's a shaking up even of our own selves when we spend time together praying that we become shaken. We become alive and alert to all that is going on. And they spake the word of God with boldness. 
Acts chapter 6 and verse number 4. The word of God said, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Continually. Are we a praying people? And finally, I put here the church. Things that are necessary for us to overcome in our warfare. That we're led of the Spirit. That the Word of God dwells richly in us. That we are a praying people. And then I've written down here, the church. You see, God has allowed the church to be something that is used for edification and encouragement of the believer. Hebrews chapter 10, we find here and verse number 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10. The Bible says here, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to do good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see, there is a great need for us to gather together as believers, as the church of God, we ought to be gathering ourselves together and much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what that tells me? The more closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more we ought to be together. The more we ought to be as believers gathering together and not forsaking the gathering of ourselves. Why it's needed? Because God knew that as the day approached, that there will be many who would become discouraged. You look around in the world today and you see so many Christians are discouraged. And 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 in such a difficult way. Why? Maybe because they've forsaken the assembling of themselves. You see, in order for us to overcome in our warfare, the church is necessary. That is a place in our life. And in closing, uh, very quickly... I just want to share something here. Back in our text in Romans chapter 8. You see that we find that we must acknowledge the warfare. And we can overcome in our warfare. But you say this. What is the motivation for our warfare? What is the thing that keeps us going? Don't know about you, but sometimes I find it very difficult. To stay motivated. To live a life that is pleasing to God. It's very hard at times. And it's very difficult. You feel like in you there's nothing that really gives you anything to want to live a life that is in the spirit. And it's so much easier to live a fleshly life. You say, what's the motivation that we find? And as I was reading this in Romans chapter 8, verse number 14, the Bible says, for many as, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse number 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And verse number 16, the Spirit Itself beareth witness with our spirit. We are the children of God in verse number 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You find a reoccurring theme in those verses there. The motivation that we have as believers tonight is this. That we are sons of God. That we have been adopted. That God has 
accepted you in the beloved tonight. And you say, what does that mean? It means this, what we find how the Apostle Paul begins there. In fact, this chapter, how it begins here in verse number one. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful for that. If you're here tonight and you are a child of God, if you are like the the, the word of God says in verse 14, the sons of God who received the spirit of adoption, then there's no condemnation for you tonight. We don't have to worry about facing the wrath of God for sinners. Why? Because we are the children of God. And if that doesn't motivate you tonight, To live a life that is pleasing to God. You say, what more can I give to Him for what He's given to me? What more can I do for the Lord for He's done so much for me? There's a quote that uh, I've written down here. Well, something that was shared on Wednesday. If any of you were here on Wednesday, uh, our brother John Antalika uh, uh, shared something from the Word of God. And he shared a quote. And basically he said this, if you are a believer here tonight then this world is the only hell that we will ever face. Think about that for a moment. That makes all the trials and all the difficulties and all the hardships and everything that you've ever gone through that has been so hard become so light. And the fact that we will never face anything worse than what we would face on this earth. Because why? Heaven is our home. Heaven is our destination. The presence of God. This is the only hell that we will ever face on this earth. And in closing, I want to bring your attention to verse number 15. And as I was looking at this, I was reading a little bit about the context of this passage. But verse number 15, I want to bring your attention to a word that we find here. It says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Adoption. That word, adoption. That might mean something for you here tonight and you say, I I know what that means. It means to be accepted in and to be adopted and the, the process that we find in adoption today. But did you know that for the Romans, that meant something? That meant a lot more maybe than what it means to us here today. And as I was looking at this, the process of adoption in Rome during that time was something that was quite difficult and very different maybe to what it would be like today. In fact, there was a a, a phrase that was found here. It was called Patria Potestas. And basically what that meant was this, that the father had a complete control of their son and of their child. No matter how old that child would be, until that father passed away, he was in absolute control of the son. Now, because of that rule that they had, that law, it made it very difficult for adoption to take place. In order for adoption to take place, there was a few uh, symbolic practices that had to take place. In fact, the father would have to uh, reject that child and accept it and reject it and then accept it and then reject him one more time and not accept him 
that third time. And then after that symbolic process took place, there was a few legal things that had to be taken place. In fact, there were four main laws that took place in order for adoption to happen. And these were the four things in order for a Roman citizen to be able to adopt somebody. Firstly, it was this, that the adopted person lost all rights to their old family. They no longer was able to access or have any rights to their old family in which they came from. Essentially what it meant that they had now a completely new father. Now that's something maybe that we're familiar with now. But not only do we find that, that when the adoption took place, the second law was that the adopted child became an heir to the father's estate. That means everything that that new father owned and had, that child that was adopted now was able to receive of that. He became an heir of that. And you know, this wasn't even affected. If there was an older son or if there was a younger son below them, it, it didn't affect it. Thirdly, and I, I found this amazing, that the old life of that new adopted son was completely wiped away. If there was any debts that that son owed, they were all cancelled. They were all wiped away completely. He had a new life. And fourthly, this was the, the fourth law that was generally instated during adoptions. In the eyes of the Roman government, that adopted son was a legitimate son of the father. And there was nothing that would differentiate it between a son that was born from that father. They became a legitimate son of a father. And as I was looking at that, that sounded very familiar about what Christ has done for us. You see, we have lost rights, in fact, to the old family, our old life. When we become a Christian, we have a new life. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm thankful that as a believer, as an adopted child of God, I have a new father. A perfect, spotless father. And I love my father that I have, but I'm, I'm saying that we have a, a father. God the father. And not only do we find that I have a new father, but as that child became an heir to the father's estate, we, the Bible says here, are joint heirs with Christ. Who was Christ? The Son of God. Think about that. That we sinful, wretched people can be seen by God the Father as a joint heir with His own Son. That amazes me to think that God would do that for me. That God would do that for you, that motivates me to want to live a life that is pleasing to Him. And we see also that the old life was wiped away. All debts were cancelled. When I become adopted in the Beloved, all my sin is washed away. Every debt that I owed is completely paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. I'm thankful for that tonight. I wonder, do you, do you realize that? That Christ laid down His life for all your sin. And finally, in the eyes of the law, a legitimate son of the father. 
Verse number 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What should motivate you to live a life that is pleasing to God tonight? You're a child of God. You are a child of God and nobody can change that. That's amazing. I'm thankful for that promise that we find here in God's Word. And the conclusion is, you say, the indwelling warfare of the believer. How do I fight in this sinful battle that is ongoing in my life? Firstly, acknowledge our indwelling warfare. Realize that there is a battle going on in your life between the flesh and the spirit. Overcome this indwelling warfare. How? By the Spirit of God being led by Him, by the Word of God, by prayer, and by, by coming and being a part of other believers. And finally, what is our motivation? The fact that God looks at you and says, you are a legitimate child of mine. What joy and peace we find in that. I'm thankful that by God's grace and by His Word, it is possible for you and I to overcome a life of, of sin. I, I, I'll say this in closing so there's no confusion. I'm not saying that we can live a life that is completely perfect without sin on this earth. We will sin. We will sin. But God desires for you to overcome. He desires for you to have victory over sin. And why? So that you and I may live a life that is more glorifying to God the Father. And I hope tonight that you desire that. That you desire, if the Lord has saved you tonight, that you would desire to live a life that is more glorifying to Him. And if you're not a believer tonight, then get right with God. Get right with God. Just as that verse says in Romans 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Logically we can say tonight, for those that are not in Christ Jesus, there is condemnation. There is condemnation. That's the wrath of God. So I hope tonight that you know Him as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee, Lord, that it is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, we praise Thee that You've given it to us, Lord. We praise Thee, O God, that You've given us what is necessary, Lord, to be able to overcome in this sinful world. Lord, I think about that verse, Lord, where you've said to us, Lord, that there is no temptation wherewith you will not give us a, a way of escape that we may be able to bear it, Lord. I praise thee for that, Lord. I thank thee, O oh, Father, that you acknowledge and you know the warfare that is indwelling in our lives. And Lord, you desire to help us in it. Thank you, Father, for that. And Lord, I praise thee that you would call us sons. Father, I thank Thee that You would say that we are joint heirs with Thy precious Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We thank Thee for that now. We pray these things in the most worthy name of all, the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and for His sake. Amen. Amen.